Malachi chapter 2. For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Zach, and it is just a pleasure to worship the Lord with you, and I'm excited. So in Malachi chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 17, and we're going to go all the way through verse 3. If any of you need a Bible, you want a Bible in your hand, Micah has some that he will get to you. We have one right here, a couple over here. Keep your hands raised, and he'll get them to you. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. And we are going to be going through it right now. Malachi 2, verse 17. Keep your hands raised if you need a Bible. Mike is right there with you. And Zach is eagerly going to help. <laughs> Though he doesn't need to. <laughs> Poor kid. Just every, all right, everyone, just really quick, when he comes in, just clap. Just start clapping. Yeah. Good job. We didn't need that, Zach. I love you, though. <laughs> Malachi chapter 2. For, for any of you that's your first time here, we don't heckle people all the time. Just, just him. Just a sec. Malachi 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? We're going to stop there and we're going to pray. Lord, we love you. God, we desire you tonight. Lord, I, I just pray, God, that there would be nothing in me that inhibits us from learning, God. There would be nothing in our own hearts that inhibits us from worshiping you further and growing to know you more. I pray that we would not, not be so arrogant into thinking that we already know everything we need, God. I pray that we'd be open to just worshiping you in different ways tonight, God. Opening our hearts to different aspects of your character and how you would have us worship you. Lord, I just pray that um, anything that's said of me would be totally forgotten because you know I have nothing good to say, Lord. But I pray that everything that's said of you and your spirit would be etched upon our hearts, Lord. We love you. We desire you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I need a heartier amen than that. Amen? Amen. Amen. To give you guys some context... You see, at this point in Malachi chapter, uh, at the end of Malachi chapter 2, God is saying, hey, you've, you've wearied the Lord with your words. You, you've made me grow tired of your constant complaining. And, and, and the Israelites, uh, Israel at this time, they're like, in what ways have we wearied you? What have we been saying that is making you so annoyed? And God is saying, you've been saying, it, it, you've been saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. They said, where is the God of justice? Guys, uh, maybe a common uh, translation for where is the God of justice is, where is our good God? How could a good God let bad things happen? You guys ever heard that question? Yeah? How could, have you guys ever asked that question before? Because I have, right? So don't worry, you're in church, but you can be honest still, right? I've asked myself that question. How could a good God let bad things happen? How could a good God let bad things happen? I think we fool ourselves into thinking, because, because here, here's the thing. Israel was asking this question. Israel was asking this question. And mankind has been asking this question since the fall. All right? Since bad things started happening, people have been questioning, why does God let bad things happen? And, and so I, I really don't think we, sh we need, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that past generations were holier than the present. Does that make sense? We can't fool ourselves into thinking, oh, back in the day, it was just full of people of total faith and we need to get back to that. Does that make sense? Because in every generation previous before us has been wickedness, but also doubt and terror. There, there's been people full of corruption in the past, and there's been people full of doubt in that if there is a good God, bad things have always been happening. And, and I, I don't want us to get pessimistic in, in, in thinking that today is the worst it's ever been, right? Because it's always been bad. Bad things have always been happening. 
And, and I, I don't want to say that to condone the bad things that happen now, but I want to let you guys know and comfort you in a certain fact that the question, why would a good God let bad things happen? That question has been going on since the beginning of time, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. That question has been asked. How could a good God let bad things happen? This is a question that has plagued our minds for thousands and thousands of years. Now, I don't want to discredit that question because I I think a lot of times when people ask that question, it's discredited immediately. Like, why would you even ask that question? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Why would you ask that, right? I think often that question that we ask in our own hearts or that people ask of us, we want to ignore that question. We want to ignore the fact that, yes, God is good and yes, bad things happen. It seems to contradict itself, though it doesn't, as we'll explain. But I don't want to discredit that question. It is an honest question that brings, that it comes forth from a heart that has not been filled to its fullness by Jesus. It springs from a heart that is not yet experienced or is not currently experiencing the fullness and the wholeness of Jesus Christ in one's life. Before I answer this question, I want to explain where it comes from where this question comes from in our hearts, because it be, you can be honest with yourself or I'm just going to be honest with you. I have asked this question and I've had many people ask this question of me. The answer is fairly simple, but the reason behind our asking of the question and people's asking of the question is not as simple as the solution. You see, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into man's heart. The Bible says that our souls, our hearts, who we are at our core, our essence, not the physical, and not in the physical sense, but who we are, our souls, our spirits are eternal. We are eternal beings. Our hearts are eternal, will last forever. Our hearts were created by God to last forever. That is how we operate as human beings. Now, our hearts, when they attach themselves to things that do not last forever, they will experience a breaking when they realize the mortality of those things. Now, now to put that in simpler terms, our hearts are made for eternal things. When we put them into temporal things, there's a breaking that happens. There's a breaking that occurs. And I'll I'll explain it in an example. People fail. Yes. Things, objects fail. They don't last forever. Therefore, when we put our entire selves into things and people and relationships, our hearts, when those things end, when they disappear, when they transition into something different, our hearts experience a loss because... Our hearts are eternal and not supposed to experience loss. They're not supposed to experience that type of heartbreak. They were not created to. They were created to experience union with someone who is eternally loving and eternally sustaining Jesus. Our hearts were created for Eden. Our hearts were created to last and exist with something that can always and eternally pour into us. Our hearts ache for Eden again. And we see evil and loss all around us in the world. We see evil things that occur that are not supposed to happen. We attach ourselves to things and relationships. And when they are taken from us, whether it's a circumstance out of your control or whether it's a circumstance in your control, when it's taken from us, there's this loss And there's this sense of justice that boils in our hearts and we yell, that isn't right. And that question inside of us all boils up to the surface. If God is so good, why would he take this from me? If God is so loving and God is so good, why would he take this from me? Or if God is so loving and God is so good, why would this bad thing occur? Why would this sense of loss and breaking happen inside of me? that question will boil up to the surface. And Jesus himself, when his good friend Lazarus, we know Lazarus, when his good friend Lazarus died, 
Jesus went before his tomb and he wept. He wept. He experienced loss. Because I believe in this moment where he sees Lazarus in the tomb and he knows that his good friend Lazarus has died, his life has ended, his heart and his his heart was supposed to be his heart is eternal, but his body was supposed to be as well. And he looks at the loss of his sisters. They are weeping, and everyone, all of his friends are mourning around him. And I believe Jesus sees this situation of his good friend Lazarus dying. And I can just imagine the tears pouring down his face and him saying, This is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how it was supposed to be. I created you all for eternity. And because of sin, and because of us attaching ourselves to things that are not God, there is loss that occurs. So even Jesus himself wept and said, that is not supposed to happen. And so we need to come to this agreement, guys, when asking ourselves this question, as Israel said, where is the God of justice? I think we could all agree that God does not cause bad things to happen, right? God does not purposefully cause evil in the world. He does not purposefully cause things to happen, right? He is not the causer of loss and despair and evil. He is not a malicious God that would create sin. And I think we agree on that, that God is not a causer of sin and he's not a causer of evil. He does not bring that into the equation. I think our anger is not in God causes bad things to happen, but I think our anger in Israel's anger is that why does God allow bad things to happen, right? We need to understand the difference. God does not cause bad things, but he does allow bad things, right? He does allow them. And I think that's where our sense of anger comes from, that the fact that God can fix something, but he won't, right? God can remove all child trafficking, but he won't. God can remove all loss in your life, all death in your life, but he won't. God can do these things. He can remove all sin, but he doesn't. And I think that's where Israel's question is, is where is the God of justice? Where's the God of justice? So let's imagine that he fixes it. Let's imagine for the moment that though he does hear our cries, that God acts upon our cries. When we say, how could a good God let bad things happen? God, why don't you fix all the evil occurring in my life? God, why don't you fix all the loss occurring in my life? God, why don't you fix the loss happening in our nation? Why don't you fix the loss that's happening on a global scale with all the terrible things that are occurring? Where is the God of justice? So let's imagine for a second that God immediately solves the issue that you are posing before him. Let's say that God does this, that he fixes it. He fixes all sin and the source of all sin. The Bible would say that the source of sin is the man's heart, right? That eternal thing that's supposed to live forever in union with God is also the source of sin. And so let's imagine for a second that God decides to comply to our wishes and say, okay, you want all evil gone. That means the source of evil must be gone as well. That means that I must remove all evil. I must remove all corruption. I must remove you, right? Because logically, that's how it is. If, if God is to remove all corruption, he would have to remove Zach Schellebarger from the equation, right? He would have to remove me. He would have to eradicate me altogether. You see, so if a good God were to stop allowing bad things to happen, that means he would also have to stop the bad things that happen as a result of Zach's poor decisions, 
So if God were to heed my cry for bad things to stop happening altogether, that means I would have to cease existing. Luckily, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So, so if God is to eradicate all evil, he has to eradicate the sin in your life. So he can do one of two things. He can eradicate you. He could punish you for the sins that you have committed because if he's going to get rid of all evil, that's including the evil that happens in your hearts and my hearts. So he could do that or he can send his son. He can send his son to live a perfect life. He can send himself in the form of a human being that lives a perfect life, who is a perfect sacrifice. That way, he can take all the sins that you and I have committed and eradicate the evil and the consequences of that sin and put it on Jesus' shoulders. And he can kill it. So... The solution is no longer you and I have to die, but Christ has been crucified for us and he rose again, dealing with the punishment of our sins. But there's also, there's also that thing in our lives where, yeah, but bad things still happen, right? But bad things still happen. So how does God solve this issue? Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. He says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as the days of old, as in former years. So it says, guys, God says, I'm going to send my messenger. Now that messenger would come 400 years later in the form of John the Baptist. We know, have we heard of John the Baptist? John the Baptist came and he brought tons of people from Israel to himself saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is starting to come. We need to prepare our hearts for when he comes. So that messenger came. He says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That is who? Jesus. So this is 400 years prior to Jesus' coming. Being prophesied, Jesus is coming, right? One of many, 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 many prophecies. There are many even more specific than this. Now, you want all the evil to stop. You want all the corruption to end for everyone to live according to love and peace, right? And so God is saying, God is saying this. He's saying, listen, I'm hearing you. You're wearying me with what you're saying right now. Where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? Listen, justice is coming. Justice is coming in the form of myself, Jesus. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. However, it says right here, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. I can just imagine, guys, just imagine for me in a a moment. I can just imagine God looking at his people who are crying for peace in their world. They're crying for peace in their world and the people around them to stop the hate, the jealousy, the lying, the cheating, the abusing of others. As we do, right? We want that corruption to stop, don't we? We want people to stop being abused. We want the cheating to stop. We want all the lying and the drama. We want all the family dysfunction. We want all of it to cease existing. We don't want it here anymore. And I could just imagine God bending his ear so, just with so much love, bending his ear to us and listening to our pleas and and hearing us. And then I could imagine God looking at his children and saying, I know you want this peace for your world. I know you want me to make the world pure. 
but do you want it for your own heart? I know you want world peace, but do you personally, Christian, want peace for you? It's so easy to look at the macro issues of this world and even this country. It's so easy to look at these broad, huge issues and for us to pray for peace in these specific areas. But God is saying right now, who can endure the day of his coming? He's saying, if I send the solution, if I send the solution, Jesus, will you be able to handle it? Will you be able to endure it? Because it says he is like a purifier of silver. He is a refiner's fire. He is the refiner. He is like a launderer of soap. He has come to clean and cleanse the hearts of his people. Right? And so when, when, when I pray for our nation, when I pray for our world and for all the corruption to cease, there's a certain plank I have to take out of my own eye. And the fact, am I praying that same peace from my own heart? As I pray for the corruption to cease in the world, in the context around me, am I praying for the corruption inside of me to cease as well? Or do I focus on others so much that I don't focus on the sin in me? Right? So, so God is saying here, he's saying, I know, I know you want peace. And do you know what? There's going to be a day, as we see in verse 5, there's going to be a day when I eradicate all evil, when all those who are oppressing, when all the sex child traffickers, when all of them, there's, there will be a day where I exact my vengeance upon those who do evil. There will come a day where I will bring justice to this world. I will cleanse it of all evil. But meanwhile, before I do that, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where is your heart? Heart, Jesus came first to purify those who have faith in him and bring all those to his sides who wish to be there. And then he'll come again and completely purify. And isn't he such a gracious God? He's such a gracious God that before he comes to eradicate all corruption, he came first to sacrifice himself so the corruption in our hearts may first be eradicated. Isn't he such a gracious God that he wouldn't just come down and be like, all right, evil, 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 evil. Uh, Do you know what? All of you, dead, right? Because that's the prayer of our hearts, right? And that would be a truly holy act for him to do. Just say, do you know what? All corruption, I'm just going to, let's just start over here. But he didn't. He decided, before I deal with corruption on a global scale, before I answer their prayers, man, I'm going to bring their hearts to me. I'm going to bring their world to me. I'm going to bring each and individual Christian, I'm going to bring them to me. For those who have faith in me, I'm going to purify and cleanse their hearts so that when I come again, they may stand before me blameless because they have the righteousness of me. That's Christianity. That God would so love the world that if we would believe in him, that we would not perish but have everlasting life. It says here in verse 5, Then I will come near you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers. I hope there's no sorcerers in here. But um, sorcerers and adulterers, the perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me. So God's saying there's going to come a time where all those evil men and women all those people that made your life miserable, I'm going to deal with them. But first, I want to deal with the hearts of people. I want to deal with the hearts. So how could a good God let bad things happen is that question that we started with. How could a good God let bad things happen? I would say he is a good God because he allows bad things to happen despite how holy he is. I would say the fact that he allows bad things to happen still is a sign of his goodness. The fact that he would allow corruption to still exist is is just proof of how good he is. Because if you were to not allow corruption, I would have to perish. I would have to. 
And so I, I am so thankful, God, because he, it says in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. It says in Ecclesiastes 7.2, there's not a just man on earth who does, not, who, who does only good and does not sin, right? There's no one who doesn't sin. There's no one who hasn't been corrupt in some sort of way. And you know what? That's human. I don't want to condemn you for that. We are all on the same boat here. And I, I just think it's such a manner of his goodness that he would allow Zach to still continue breathing. So the answer to this question that grips our hearts is not to raise our fists at God and declare how unjust he is for letting bad things happen. It is to draw nearer to God that he might purify our hearts that so we can become the solution to the corruption around us. You see, Christians spend, listen, listen, Christians spend so much time focusing on the problem in society, not really realizing that they are the solution God has provided. We, we spend so much time focusing on every single problem, not realizing that God's saying, stop complaining. You're the solution. I have ordained you since the beginning of this earth, since the foundations of the world. I predestined every good work that you will ever do. So we spend so much time just complaining about corruption. Where is the God of justice when God is saying, I have ordained you as a minister of my justice. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and engage in the society. Pursue these people that are lost and that are dying. Affect the community around you. Stop complaining about it and start engaging inside of it. I have spent so much time complaining about the world around me and really ignoring it all the while. If, the, if, you, if you are in a corrupt school, be a part of the solution. If you're in a corrupt business, be a part of the solution. If your family is full of corruption, stop complaining and start being a part of the solution. Because God has saved you, Christian, and he is in a continual state of purifying your heart. Purifying your heart so you can be a part of that. And isn't it great that God would allow you to be an answer to your own prayer? Right? God, God, please make this world better. And he's saying, that is a great prayer, man. Here's a world that I have ordained for you to make better. Right? And we're like, no, that means I have to work. Right? You know, and I I had a discussion with a youth kid today. I I love this kid to death. And he's, he's so wise and he's so mature beyond his years. And I was having a conversation with him and he's just like, do you know, man, I just wish I could love God and do nothing and die. You know, like, (laughs) you know, I just, that's the dream. The dream is just, oh God, I love you. You're so awesome. I just want to lay on a beach and love you. And then one day I'll die and then I'll be with you. Right. But like, there's this like, middle ground, you know, it's like we love God, but we're not dead yet, you know, so we have to do something in between, right? There's a world around us that needs ministering to around us, right? And so God's saying, okay, okay, I'm sending the solution, my son, Jesus Christ, who is going to take away your corruption and your sin, and he will be purifying, but can you handle it is my question, right? We're asking for redemption. We're asking for God to do mighty things. And God's answer to your prayer is, can you handle it? Right? God, use me. You sure? Right? You sure? I'm getting more and more people lately being like, you know what? I really feel like, man, God's called me to ministry. It just sounds like the life. Literally, actually, it was, it was the same kid I was talking to today. <laughs> same kid I was talking to today. He's like, yeah, I, I think I'm called to ministry. Just, you know, and you know, I'm, uh, if he's, no, he's not here, but like he, he'd be totally fine with me. Saying, I think I'm, I'm called to ministry just because it sounds awesome. Like I get to love God, love people. And then I got a, tons of free time where I could just, you know, do my thing. I'm like, <laughs> not true, you know? So, so there's, there's this calling. Can you handle ministry? Because ministry's hard. And we're all called to it, you know? We're all called to it. 
We're called to engage with people, (laughs) difficult people, right? Dying and hurting people. And there's corruption around us. And we could pray that it stops. But it says in James that faith without works is dead. And, 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 and here's, what that, here's what I truly take from that verse, where we have faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean, all right, if you have faith in God, but you don't do anything, you're not saved. That's not necessarily the translation. That's not necessarily what it means. It means faith without works is dead. It means I could have faith. I could have faith that God will feed the hungry. But without me allowing God to use me to feed the hungry, that faith is dead. It's not worth much. I could pray that God will feed the hungry and send rotisserie chickens just flying from the sky. Or, or I can go and feed the hungry, right? That's, that's what it means, guys. Faith without works is dead. There's, there's this engagement that we can, and God's saying, can you dig it? Can you handle it, right? Can you handle that life? So how? How? How do we become a part of the solution? And I'm going to end early tonight just because I really do believe like this is a simple ver- this is a simple passage with a simple takeaway message. So how how do we become a part of the solution? Because Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." Every rule in the Bible, guys, boils down to those two commands: love God with all that you are, love people with the same love that God has given you, right? That's your purpose in life. Like everyone's asking like, what's my destiny? That's it. You're welcome. Free of charge. I just told you what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Right? Right? Listen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to go back to verse 6. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3 where it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from me, from my ordinances, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So so listen, guys. How do we become a part of the solution to the corruption that's happening in the world? How do we become a part of this solution? How, how, how do we engage in what God has called us to? And I'm, I'm just going to give you three practical steps here for in, in, in the remaining time we have and in the remaining verses we have. Three practical steps. As it says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And, and God's, that's, that's like a comforting thing. God says, hey, I don't change. Therefore, you aren't consumed, right? And, and, and here's the good thing. If God were to be a God who changes his mind and changes, he could just be like, you know that whole promise I made to you that I never leave you or forsake you? I'm not feeling it today, right? And then just, bam, dead, right? So, so he says, oh, sons of Jacob, it's a good thing for you that I don't change, Right? That I'm not as fickle as you, that I don't change my mind. So what God is saying, he's comforting us in the fact saying, listen, when I told you that I would never leave you nor forsake you, I meant it, right? He's saying, I meant it. I'm always going to be pursuing you. I am always going to be behind you. I am always going to be seeking after your heart. I am always going to be desiring you. But he says this, Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. So God's saying, hey, I don't change. I still want you. But you, since the beginning, have just been, you've been straying away from me constantly, time and time again. So the first way we can finally engage in the solution of Christianity way we can finally be that salt and light of this world. That we can be an institution of hope in the world. Again. And the first step, guys, the first step is repent. That's the first step. The first step isn't, all right, we need to mobilize, we need to do a prayer meeting, we need to like get all these things together, right? 
we need to change this. We need to change this. All right, we need to start preaching this. We need to start studying this. We need to do this series. We need to do this at church. It's not all right. We got to get a Bible study together. We got to get a Bible study in every house. Those are some solutions. But the first one that God calls us to is repent. First thing Jesus preaches when he comes onto the scene. What was it, Mark? What was it? First thing. Bam. Repent. I'm making sure he's paying attention, right? He took a while. Like, what was Zach saying? All right. Repent. Repent. The first words that Jesus said when he came on was repent. And so that's what we need to do. And don't take repent. Like it, it, it's gotten such a bad connotation. Do you know what repent means? I'm going this way right now, but Jesus is this way. So I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to start doing this. Simple, right? Repent. We need to evaluate ourselves and the lifestyles that we're living. You're not going to be a part of the solution, right? If the solution is this way and you're going this way, right? And we can go in the opposite way of God complaining about the way our society is going as much as we want. But as we drift further and further away, our words are just going to get right? So the first step, guys, to being used by God in a society that is dying is repent. We need to evaluate our lives and we need to return to the God of our youth. We need to return to our first love. We need to love the Lord our gods with all our hearts, our soul, and our minds. Establish that relationship you have with him. Guys, you can know everything that's wrong with the church today. You can know everything that's wrong with society today. But if you can't open up the scriptures and find out what's wrong with your own heart, you're so off base. And this is, what, this is really hard for me as a preacher, right? For me as a preacher, I'm, I, I preach like four times a week, right? And, and so for me as a preacher, every single time I open the scriptures, it's really easy for me to say, all right, how can I preach this to people? right? How can I preach this to people? How can I convey a message? What do people need to hear? How do I get other people to repent? That's always a temptation for me as a preacher. It's really hard for me to open up the scriptures and I have to purpose in my heart every single morning and every single night. I have to purpose in my heart and say, God, how can you correct me and my character personally? And this is what God showed me. That's why if you, if you see my notes, you see my journal, and you see my, my Bible at home, Malachi is just riddled with notes, not for you, but for me, right? And for my heart. And God told me that I need to repent, right? That's the first step for me to be used by. Anyway, I need to have a repentant spirit. Then we go to verse eight. This is where a lot of you will get uncomfortable. Most of you, 99% of you. Will a man rob God? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. Uh Uh-oh, tithes and offerings. Okay, you are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Somebody say amen. 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 And I will rebuke the devourer of your, for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God's saying this. He's saying, test me. This is the only time in scripture where God says, test me. Test me. And I'm going I'm to tell you how to be effective for the kingdom. And you're going to notice something. It's all going to be about you and your personal walk with the Lord. I'm not going to go tell you what to do. Because as far as you and your own personal walk with the Lord and how you take your relationship with the Lord, out of that will overflow righteousness into the context you're in. Right? And, and, and here's, the second, here's the second out of the three points. The second step, guys, 
to being a heart that can be effective in your community is surrender control. You need to be able to surrender the control. This is the only time in scripture where God says test him, but we don't because we don't trust him or at least we only trust him and when we are in a little bit of control. God says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. And they're like, in what ways have we robbed you? You don't, you don't trust me. You don't trust me. Guys, tithes and offerings isn't out of the greediness of the church. And, and for those of you who don't know what a tithe is, it, it means you get, let's say you get $100 in your paycheck, right? I don't know. Right? $100 in your paycheck, just making it simple for you. If you get $100 in your paycheck, a tithe is 10%, right? You have them $10. Right? Ten dollars. Right? You make ten dollars, give them a dollar. Right? And 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 here's what it does. It's not it's not God saying, listen, I want your money. Because God has everything. He owns everything. He is able to pour forth whatever he wants from whatever he wants. God owns everything. And for us to use the resources that he's given us for our own pleasure, not even recognizing him, he's saying, you're robbing me. He's saying, you're robbing me because it's all mine in the first place and you're not recognizing it's mine. But he's also saying, you're robbing me in the sense that you aren't trusting me enough to bless you. So God's saying, you're robbing me of the opportunity to pour forth all the blessings, more blessings than you could ever imagine. God's saying, I want 10%. I want the first fruits of anything you receive in your money because, guys, our hearts as human beings, we are so attached to material objects and to money because we put our security in it. We put our, our security in whatever amount of money we have. And some of you would say, well, I don't make a lot of money, therefore I can't tithe because I'm just, I can't tithe because I don't have anything. But here's the thing. If you don't tithe with a little, you're not going to tithe with a lot either. You're not. It's just not going to happen. Right? I've known to have little and I've known to have a lot. And I will tell you, the amount of money I tithe and whether I give 10% or not, it's never contingent on how I'm doing financially at the time. It's never like, oh, I just got, you know, I just got uh, an influx of money because of the second job I have. All right, I'm going to tithe more. Or it's not like, it's not like oh, I'm really, I'm really short on money right now. I don't think I'm going to tithe. That's never how it is for me. It's always like, I just like my stuff. Yeah, exactly. Famous play, if you guys have never seen it. It's good. Surrender control. And once you surrender control of your resources, once you, once you give to the Lord, you say, all right, all right. God, I only have this much, here it is. Once you do that, you're allowing, you're allowing God to give you more and more and more. We only get filled to the degree of which we empty ourselves, okay? We only get filled to the degree by which we empty ourselves. If I'm emptying myself as much as I can of of my materialism and my pride, that is more opportunity for God to fill me to the brim with his faithfulness. Because God will not exist where my flesh also exists. I need to surrender control. And as I surrender control, I learn to trust God more. And as I develop a trusting of who God is and what he does for me, I'm going to be able to go into the context in which I am, knowing that God will help me and sustain me no matter who's around me. Learn to take steps by which God can be faithful. We need to live lives that seek to discover the depths of God's faithfulness. We do this by relinquishing control. Relinquishing control. Guys, I I say this a lot. I say this a lot. Do something this week that scares you. Do something this week that makes you uncomfortable. Do something this week that expands God's kingdom and you're not used to doing. By doing so, you're relinquishing this sense of control inside of yourself. And the less of you, the more of God, right? 
Do something this week that makes you uncomfortable. There's someone you know you should pray for and you haven't, right? There's someone, there's a coworker you know you should talk to. Not just like, hey, you want to hear the gospel? Like, hey, how are you doing? Might be a good one. Might be a good question to ask, right? How's the family? How's your life going? Oh, it's not going so well? Well, let me tell you about this, right? Do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, right? Do something that makes, uh, where you can discover the, discover the depths of God's faithfulness. And I'll close here in verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we should have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. Even, uh, they even tempt God and go free. Here's what the people of Israel are saying. They're saying, what's the point in serving God if those who do bad get ahead? Right? What's the point of being a Christian if there's no benefits to it, right? What's the point of being a Christian if those who are lying and those who are cheating and those who are stealing are the ones that ultimately get ahead? They're the ones who get the recognition. They're the ones who get the praise. They're the ones who get the promotions. They're the ones who get the girl. They're the ones who get the good life. What good is it for me if I follow God faithfully and the wicked get away with their wickedness, right? And there's a bitterness inside of us sometimes that happens, or maybe you're way more holy than I am, but there's a bitterness that happens inside of me personally. When I see that, all right, I've done everything I can to be faithful to God, but somehow those guys that are lying, and even those guys in the church, like they're, they're lying, they're fake. Like what's the point of all my faithfulness if, if, if the guys that are just fake get all the recognition? Or what, what's the point of me doing good things for God if they're gonna get all the glory, right? And so the third step, guys, to being effective, for God being effective in your heart so you can be effective in a culture is to remember the victory you have in Christ. You need to be constantly reminding yourselves that victory is not in material possessions. Victory is not in promotions and recognition of other people, but the victory comes and that when you get to the end, God's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you need to count your victories, not in the materials you have, not in the amount of friends that you have, not in the the social base that you have, not how much money that you make. Your success needs to be contingent on whether was I faithful to my God? Are people better off for my life or are they worse off for my life? If I were to die today and people were to come to my funeral would I have lived a life where people are better off because I was alive? Was I opening myself up to be used by God? Would it just be sad if I died? Right? Oh, oh, that sucks. He died, right? Or, or, Would the room at your funeral be filled with people who said, you know what, they affected my life so deeply, I want to live a better life because of them. Are you allowing yourself to be used by Christ in that manner? Are you remembering the victory you have? Is your life lived for you or is it lived for others being built up in the Lord? I think we need to take a cue from our Savior who served us so greatly and overwhelms us with his love and his service. It says in Philippians that we need to take a cue from Christ who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbling himself, he died on the cross for us. We need to do the same, right? Surrendering our lives for the sake of the betterment of other people around us. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and we're going to be taking communion here. And 
Guys, when we take communion, and, and I, I always, like every once in a while, I want to offer you at least a little bit new insight into communion. And, and, and there's differing opinions all over the place about what communion is and how it is to be. But at its core, it's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And it's a unifying thing for us. And to give you guys a new perspective into Christ's faithfulness, as you take communion, as you take part in the bread, you need, let, let's remember something. Let's remember the amount of humility it took for, for the God of the universe to come down and be broken for us. And together as a church, let's mimic that humility. Let's remember the depths of, uh, of that sacrifice that it took for the blood to be poured out and spilled for us, that we might be purified and cleansed. And let us take cues from our Savior by pouring ourselves out as an offering. As Paul would say, offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Giving more honor to others than we would ourselves. And so I'm going to pray, guys, and let's worship tonight in unity. Let's worship tonight repenting of the sins that we've been committing. Do an honest look at ourselves, seeing where we need to fix Right? Not because we need to fix to get approval from God, but God has already approved of us. Therefore, he wants to work inside of us so he can then uh, expand his mercy to other people. So let us find out what it means to repent. And then in that, we're surrendering our control, the control over our finances, control over our friend groups and our lives and the people around us, surrendering that control to the Lord. And, and, And in doing so, doing something that we've never done before and asking God to do that for us. God, give me power to do something new this week, something that expands your kingdom, something that stretches me as a human being and as a worshiper, uh, as a worshiper of you. And let me always remember the victory I have in you. And though there may be material victory in everyone around me, I'm going to worship you knowing that I have victory because of the power of the cross. Amen? Lord, we love you. We worship you tonight, God, with fervor and with heart. God, I pray that you would touch our lives, Lord continually, God, that we wouldn't just let church be that time where we kind of get filled up and and we feel good about ourselves and then we wait for next Sunday, Lord. But I I just pray that this would be, uh, God, this would be just the start of an amazing week for you and with you. Lord, I, I personally, I repent of everything that I've done, Lord, even in the past day. God, that is not glorifying to you. I pray that you'd be continually searching my heart so that so that Isaac can live a life, Lord, that glorifies you. I pray that over all my brothers and sisters in here, Lord, that you would purify us, Lord, that we'd be able to handle the solution you have provided for this world, which is your body. Empower us to do so, Lord, and affect the community around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.